Good morning, church. I'm so glad to be back with you. Uh, my family and I, we were in Portland last week and uh, at a wedding, and we had a great time. We got to take our kids to the zoo and do a lot of stuff with them that they don't typically get to do, so it was a great time with the family. But I'm excited to be back. I'm excited uh, to continue in the Psalms, and I'm also excited for the next month. In July, uh, we are going to be do some, doing something very special. It's going to be very hot, as many people know, uh, but we are also uh, going to be doing a barbecue, or we're going to be serving food after church every Sunday through the month of July. And so after church, come hang out with us uh, in, in the cafe, grab some food with us. Um, starting next week, it'll be the 4th of July, and so we'll have some like poppets for the kids and little stuff for the kids to do. We'll have some games, and, uh, and, and, and the AC in here works good, so we'll make sure that that's pumping. And uh, come celebrate next week with us. I'm so excited for that. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, we are in the book of Psalms. We have been, uh, we're doing a, a, a summer-long reading through the book of Psalms, and uh, I hope that you're reading along with us. I have to admit, I missed some days the last week, but, but I, I want to encourage you that if you were like me and you missed some days in the reading, just jump in at today's reading. Don't try to catch up or don't try to, you know, read a whole bunch of stuff because the purpose of this series is really to refresh you and to, uh, to refresh your soul and revive you and so I'm excited uh, for today. We are um, we're going to be in Psalms chapter 32, and you know I've I've been wrestling with this message. I've I've had this message written out for the last couple weeks now, and um, so much has happened in the last couple weeks with people um, going to the hospital and COVID and the Harville family and, and 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 the disaster that happened. And my heart breaks for for the families in this church that are, that are experiencing suffering. And, and uh, I, believe, um, I, I believe in the love of God that he's good in every season. And I believe that, um, that the pain that we experience in life is not, is not God. It's not an act of God. It's, it's the result of living in a broken world and a world that's full of sin, that's full of destruction. And, and, uh, and we will be free of that one day. And we can take hope in that and so my heart for, for you this morning, you know, and I, I was asking God about this message because this really, you know, it, it, it's kind of, I've never preached about this before. Uh, we're going to be talking about confession. And Psalm 32 is, is a psalm about confession. And, and not a lot of pastors like to talk about this. We don't like to, you know, it's uncomfortable to talk about sin. But I just felt, I was asking, you know, after all the disaster that's been happening in the last couple of weeks and all the heartache, I was asking the Lord, God, is this still what you want to communicate to your church? Or do I need to switch it up? Do I need to find something else to speak on? And I just really heard the voice of the Lord say, no, stay on track. This is what we're supposed to talk about today. And so um, just know that, that my heart and my prayers are with um, the family of the Harville family and with everybody who's, who's, who's hurting and suffering from that. And, and I do have a praise report. I asked a couple of weeks ago for the church family to lift up uh, the Andersons in prayer, Janie Anderson and Harry Anderson. And Janie's been in the hospital uh, for, in Wenatchee for a while. And I just talked to him on Thursday. And Harry gave me some good news that the, she's potentially coming home on Monday that they've taken her um, off of oxygen, that she's starting to eat more, and she's, she's slowly getting better in church. When I talked to Harry, this is what he said. He said, I didn't think that, that, that she was going to make it through this uh, one day. You know, th there was a day that I talked to him where Harry was just, he was thinking, this is, this is hard to accept. But when I talked to him on Thursday, he was full of hope. 
and he was encouraged by your prayers. And I just want to tell you, church, that prayer changes things. That we serve a good God who heals. We serve a God who listens to the voices of his people. And so thank you for your prayers. Continue to pray for Janie. Continue to pray for the Andersons because she still uh, needs full recovery. Are you with me in Psalm chapter 32? Like I said before, this is a song of confession. If you're unfamiliar with scripture, uh, a lot of the psalms are written by King David, and we know that this song is a song of David, and David is the mighty warrior of God, the mighty man, king of Israel, who slayed a giant and became king over Israel. But we, don't also, we, 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 we also need to recognize that this David that we talk about, it was a total screw-up as well. David was a murderer, David was an adulterer. If you don't know the story, he saw this beautiful woman bathing on a roof and uh, he lusted after her and he had her called into his, his, his bedroom and they had sex and she got pregnant. And in order to cover up his sin, he sent her husband to the front lines of battle where he was murdered on the battle line. David was a man after God's own heart in scripture, but he also struggled. He also uh, sinned greatly. He had a lot of stuff going on in his life. But here's what I think is so ironic about the story of David and Bathsheba is, is David and Bathsheba eventually gave birth to Solomon. And through the line of David and Solomon, Jesus was born. The king of the universe, the Messiah, the creator of all things. He was born through the line of David and Solomon. And it is a testament to the faithfulness of God and how he can bring about good things regardless of the circumstance, regardless of our failures, regardless of what's happened. So we're going to read Psalm 32 together. We're going to read the whole thing. It says in the beginning of it, it says, this is a Psalm of David, a maskil. Now a maskil in the Hebrew is a noun from the verb meaning to make someone clever or to instruct somebody. It's, this is a Psalm of instruction for the purpose of making someone successful and prosperous. David is saying, if you want to be successful, if you want to prosper in life, then listen to the words I'm about to tell you. This is important. What I'm about to say is instruction. It will make you wise. It will make you understanding. So listen to what I'm about to say because it's important for you to hear. He begins the psalm with this. And then we see the very first word of Psalm 32 is blessed. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Notice that this psalm begins in the same way that Psalm chapter 1 begins. It begins with a blessing. That this is a psalm of blessing. That when we talk about, when we talk about confessing our sins to the Lord and being free from, from all, of our, our, all the things that we've done wrong, it is a blessing. It is a weight off of our shoulders so let's read the whole thing. Here we go. I won't, I won't dawdle any longer. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Turn to the person next to you and say, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Who knows what that feels like? Come on. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and you did not cover up my iniquity, excuse me, and did not cover up my iniquity. And I, I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. 
Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you, this is important, while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. This is God talking now. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. David is experiencing the freedom of, of, of laying it all out on the table, the freedom of, of exposing his sin, of exposing himself to God, and, and the blessing that comes when we do that. Well, in order to talk about confession, we have to first talk about sin. What is sin? Sin, if we boil it down to its very roots, sin is disobeying God. It's disobedience to God. It's rebellion, it's perversion, it's turning away from the right path, but it is the corruptive instrument used to separate us from God. It's disobedience to God. And we see this in Genesis chapter three, when God looked at Adam and Eve and he told them that they could eat of any fruit in the garden, but don't eat of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it because you will surely die. And the enemy disguised as a serpent, came and tempted Eve and said, no, did God really say that? You surely won't die. God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because you'll be more like him. And he deceived Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, what did they do? They bit of the fruit. They disobeyed God and they spoiled a perfect creation. Sin entered the world because suddenly humanity was going to determine for themselves what was good and what was right for their life. They were no longer gonna leave it up to God God wanted to make that decision. He wanted to decide that for them, but now humanity is going, going to decide what is right for their own life. Because God is perfect, he can't associate with anything imperfect. And so God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden. And, and, and it, it's because God is blameless and he's perfect and he's sinless. And so he can't taint his perfection. He can't taint himself with, with sin. And so he separates himself from sin. Now, when the pastor starts to talk about sin, we do one of two things, don't we? The first thing that we might do is, is we might get uncomfortable when we start talking about sin because I'm aware of my sin, pastor, and I've managed to avoid talking about it up until now. So, so why are we gonna open up this can of worms and start talking about sin now? Some of us might get uncomfortable when we start to talk about sin. The other thing that we might do is we might think, uh, we might think that, the sin, that, that the sinners in the room better be listening because <laughs> this message is for them. They need help, right? But the sin that we're talking about today it doesn't relate to me. Right, what pastor's gonna be talking about, when he's talking about sin, he's talking about somebody I know. And they need to, I'm gonna send them this podcast and they're gonna watch this message later and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is gonna convict their heart because they need to confess. They need forgiveness of their sin, but not me. I don't need it. We do one of those two things. See, so we've constructed in our minds this continuum of sin, and we've ranked sins according to their severity, right? And the more severe the sin, the more evil the offender, right? Like, like lying is way down here, but murder is way up here, 
right? And so, like, that's a real, that's a real evil person up there. We've made this, this ranking system in our mind, but God doesn't do this. He doesn't look at sin in this way. The murderer is just as guilty as the one who lied to their boss, who called in sick when they weren't actually sick. Oh, oh did I step on some toes there? <laughs> See, the people living on the wild side, sinning out in the open, are just as guilty as the ones sinning behind closed doors, pretending like everything is fine. Nobody knows about their sin. They keep it secret. They've done a good job of hiding it, but the two are just as guilty. God doesn't rank our sin according to what's more severe. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the same price is to be paid for every sin. The wages of sin, the penalty for sin, is death. We are all on an even playing field. This is one thing that unites the church completely. We are all on the equal, we are all on the same plane when we talk about sin. All of our sin deserves death. This is a real hopeful message, Pastor. Thanks for bringing this word to me this morning. You know, there's a few things that we see in this psalm uh, that describes what sin is like. And the first thing that we see is, is that sin weighs heavy on our conscience. If you're, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Sin weighs heavy on our conscience. David wrote this. He said, day and night, your hand was heavy on me. See, the writer of this can feel God's divine disappointment like a heavy weight on his shoulders. And you know, sin in the Bible is actually referred to a lot. It's compared to a lot. It's compared to weight a lot in the Bible. And Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Take off that weight is what the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is saying. In Lamentations chapter 1, verse 14, it describes our sin as this yoke that is fastened around our neck and causes our strength to fail. It's this burden, it's this weight that we feel on top of us. It weighs heavy on our conscience and it feels like this, this heavy hand pushing down on us. I recently read The Pilgrim's Progress to my son, Gideon, and we, we have an illustrated version. It's kind of, it's a book for kids, but it's got some pretty terrifying pictures in the book, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm honest. It's called The Dangerous Journey, and uh, I took some pictures of this book. Let's put the first one up there. Here's the first picture. Is he's wandering around in the field. He's reading the Word of God, and he feels this weight on his back. It's this heavy burden, and in the book, it describes that he doesn't know how to get it off his back, but he's reading in the Word of God that there's a place he can go. This man named Evangel comes and meets him in the field and tells him that there's a place he can go to get his burden removed. Go to the next, the next picture. And you can see how many of you, I don't know if you've ever felt like this before, but I've felt like this before, where my sin and my weight and the guilt that I'm feeling is weighing so heavy on me that even though I'm surrounded by my wife and my kids, I, I can't focus. I'm distraught because I've got this weight on my back and all he can think about is how do I get this off of me? How do I free myself from this? What's the next picture? How, he's, he's laying awake at night. It keeps him up at night. How many of you have, have experienced this before? Where the things in life, the things that we do, it, it weighs so heavy on our conscience that we lay awake at night unable to sleep. Let me talk real quick about the difference between guilt and shame. I've talked about this a little bit before, but guilt is 
on the one hand, is the natural consequence of our actions, of our sin. That when we do something wrong, we feel guilty about it. Our conscience is seared. We have, this, we have this feeling inside of us, and I believe this. I believe that the Bible says that every single person was created in the image of God, right? In Genesis, it says that God created mankind in his image. He didn't create just, just certain people, and all of us have been created in the image of God. Therefore, all of us have an imprint, or all of us have a mark of God on us. And whether or not we recognize it and we walk away from it, we live outside of that identity, it doesn't matter. It's still inside of every one of us. So when we do something wrong and when we disobey God, I believe our conscience is that, is that mark of God inside of us that is being twisted. And we start to feel, this is not what I should be doing. It's the Holy Spirit prodding us and nudging us and giving us his, his instruction and his grace to change our ways. It's this, that's what guilt is. Guilt is that feeling that I need to change. Something has to be, something has to be done. I feel guilty for this because I know that this is not who I am. It's not how I'm created to be. That's guilt. But shame is from the enemy. And shame is a tool that the enemy will use even after you've asked for forgiveness and even after you've been forgiven. Shame is the tool that the enemy will use to keep you stuck and to keep you in a cycle of addiction and in a cycle of sin, in a cycle of fear, in a cycle of bitterness because he comes to you and he says, no, 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 you don't deserve freedom. You don't deserve to be happy. You don't deserve to, be, to experience that joy and the love of God because you're too, you're too messed up. You did too many wrong things. That's shame, and it's of the enemy. Sin weighs heavy on our conscience, but it's this, when I read this, this psalm, I don't see this heavy hand of God as God oppressing us or trying to punish us for our sin or you did something bad so now I'm going to really squash you. I'm going to make you feel it. No, I see God's heavy hand almost as this act of kindness, as an act of grace because if we go our whole lives unaware of our sin, our whole lives unaware of our faults and our failings and the things that we need to bring to the Lord, if we live our whole lives like that, then we could end up in real trouble. But God's heavy hand is that nudging and that gracious prodding saying, listen, I have something else for you. If you can picture this, that God is standing beside you and he's got this big gift. He's got this big gift. It's wrapped up in a beautiful bow. And he looks at you and he says, hey, Bob, I got a gift for you. I want to give you this, this gift. And it Inside of this gift, it's better than anything you could ever construct for your life. It's better than anything you could ever imagine. Inside of this gift is all the joy that you need, all the peace that you need. You will be forever happy with this gift that I want to give you. And he says, here, let me give it to you. But you go, oh, yeah, God, let me, yeah, why don't you just put it in this hand? And God, is, God says, no, 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 no. In order for me to give you this gift, in order for you to open it up, you've got to put down everything else. You've got to lay down everything else that you have because this gift requires that you open it with all of you. You can't be holding on to anything else. And so, so that weight that we feel, that, that weight that's heavy on our conscience is that, is that weight of sin. The heavy hand of God is that feeling, is that, is that knowledge that God has something better for me. But in order to receive the better thing that God has for me, I have to put down what I'm carrying. I have to get rid of it. I have to confess it. I have to ask for forgiveness so that I can fully receive the gift that God wants to give to me. 
Sin weighs heavy on our conscience. We also know in the Psalms that, that spiritual sin can have physical manifestations. Spiritual sin can have physical manifestations. In verse three, David writes this. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And if you've read Psalm 38 this this past week, you can see in Psalm 38, it's just more and more descriptions of the weight of sin where, where, where David writes that my back was racked with pain. I had a fever. And he starts describing all these physical manifestations of his spiritual sin. See, the suffering that, that David is experiencing here in Psalm 32, it's not a divine assault. It's not, it's not God squishing him or pressing him down or, or causing him pain because of his sin. Rather, it's more an outworking of his own repressed guilt. His suffering is the result of his own sin. Now, I'm not saying, church, that all sickness is about unconfessed sin. We, we live in a broken world and we're going to continue to experience pain and suffering until Jesus returns. I believe that. But there are examples in Scripture that indicate a correlation between sin and physical sickness. In James chapter 5, verse 15, he writes this, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And then he says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confess your sin so that you will be healed. And in John chapter 5, Jesus heals this cripple at the pool. And what does he say to this man? He says, See, look, you are well. Now go and sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. There is a correlation in scripture between spiritual sin and physical sickness. Again, it's not the answer to every sickness, and we have to be careful not to develop this theology of healing that is dependent upon confession, because God can choose to heal someone out of his own grace and mercy despite their sin. I know people who've, who've confessed all their sin, I'm sure of it, and they still don't experience healing, and we don't know why. We don't know why this happens because we don't know completely how God operates, but, but we know in Scripture that spiritual sin does have physical manifestations. The last thing that we know about sin that I want to talk about today is that sin leads to death and must be paid for. Again, thanks, Pastor, for this uplifting message. Sin is ultimately what separates us from God. And like I said earlier, the Bible warns us that the, pe the penalty, the wages of sin, is death. And God warned Adam and Eve in the beginning that disobedience would ultimately lead to eternal death. See, the act of wrongdoing requires a price to be paid for the offense. When you do something wrong, you have to pay the consequence. Imagine if we lived in a country, imagine if in our country there was no punishment for, for any crime that you could commit. You could steal, you could murder, you could do anything. There was no punishment for that crime. Would that be justice for the one who lost their loved one or, or, the, or the store owner who was robbed? Would that be justice for them if there was no punishment for their crimes? No, that would not be justice. See, we, we talk about how good God is and God is good, but God is good because he's just. God is good and God is just, but if he wasn't just, he wouldn't be good. So when we sin, 
we face either a natural consequence for our actions, like for example, if you drive while you're drunk, you might face the consequence of your actions. You might end up in a car accident. You might get injured. Or when we sin, we might face a divine consequence. And that, you know, we believe at our church that, that there is a place that we go if, if, where we're separate from God for our, the rest of our life. It's, in the Bible, it calls it hell. And, and we know that, that, that we must pay a price for our sin, that, that the wages of our sin is death, and it's a, it's a divine consequence because God is just and he is good. Okay, there's hope. There's hope, church. In the Bible, I want to talk about two words that we read about in the Bible, and these words are atonement and justification. Now, the word atonement, like I said before, that our, our sin requires a price. The wages of sin is death. And the word atonement means that somebody else paid the blood price. Somebody else paid the sacrifice and died on your behalf. So you no longer have to pay that price. This is the essence of our faith in Jesus. This is what we believe, that, that we were once estranged from God. We were once far from God. But Jesus paid the price for our sin through his atonement on the cross. And he set you free. The second word that is justification. And justification is the complete erasal of your sin so that you can have a relationship with God. Justification was, was made on your behalf, so when God looks at you, he doesn't see any of the sin. A good way to remember what this word means is just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. I've been justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And when God looks at you, he sees the sacrifice and the payment that Jesus made on your behalf and says, yeah, you don't have anything to worry about. You're set free. We can have a relationship. You and I can get close. You and I can spend every morning together and I can fill you with hope. I can fill you with comfort and peace and love. You, I, I can fill you with my Holy Spirit's supernatural power to pray for the sick and they'll be healed. You and I can have this relationship because you've been justified. Jesus paid the price on the cross. With, what, with such an amazing deal, we've, we've been given an amazing deal, haven't we? where we traded all of our weight and all of our sin and all of our shame. We've given it to the Lord and in exchange he gives us this light burden, this, this light gift of joy and of peace and of power. What a great, but so, so if, if we're given such a great deal, what keeps more people, what keeps people from talking about their sin, from confessing their sin and from stopping it in their tracks rather than living years and years and years with secret sin and living years and years and years with weight and unforgiveness and bitterness on their backs? What keeps people from doing that? Well, I think that, you know, confession, talking about sin, it's already an uncomfortable experience as it is, but we've also added onto it these modern obstacles that make it increasingly difficult, which means we have to work even harder to confess to others and to God. And I believe that there's two elements that uh, in our modern culture that, that inhibit our willingness to admit our faults, even among our fellow believers, even among our Christians. I think the first one is independence, and the second one is perfection. 
independence. You know, when I was, when I was younger, my family had this no-knock policy on our, at our house, and you could show up whenever you wanted to, right? And you didn't even have to let us know, isn't that right? Like, people would just show up for dinner, and, there would, you know, there'd be extra food, and so we had this no-knock policy, but now I realize that if somebody shows up to my house unannounced, I go, oh, how rude. They interrupted my reading time. Or my kids' nap time. I hope they didn't wake them up with how loud they were knocking on the door. We value independence. We're consumed with a concern for personal privacy. I would say that we even demand personal privacy these days. We think to ourselves, what I do is my business and it's no concern of yours. I demand personal privacy. And this demand for personal privacy is closely linked to the sense of radical tolerance that we see permeating our society. We say, you know, what's good for you is good for you as long as you tolerate what's good for me and don't call me out on the things that are in my life, right? What's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good for me. So don't call me out on my stuff or I'm gonna call you out on your stuff. So we live these private lives. We live these, we live these separate lives and this dynamic makes it difficult to divulge our most private issues and our concerns, our needs to others. And it makes our relationships really superficial. Hey, how's your marriage doing? Oh man, well I could tell them that my wife and I had like the worst fight of our life last night and I said some things that I really regret. It's good, yeah, marriage is good. Never been better. How's your marriage? Oh, it's wonderful, thank you, thanks for asking. How are your kids doing? Oh, I could tell them this about my kids, but oh, they're great. Yeah, how are your kids? Oh, they're great. It makes for these superficial relationships where we can't go deep with one another. We can't be honest. We can't be vulnerable. The second thing was perfectionism, and I think this desire to be independent leads us to believe that we, because we're independent and we don't need anybody, we ought to be perfectly capable to accomplish our goals and fulfill our own needs. And so we should have the self-discipline to overcome our shortcomings and to lead satisfying lives and most of the time, our lives are marked by failure and dissatisfaction and lack of self-control and a fading sense of confidence in our own abilities. I'm, I'm insecure. I don't know what to do. But the failure to live up to, to the standards we've created for ourselves, it, it should lead us to confess our weaknesses and tell people about our needs. But instead, we hide our failings behind a facade of apparent success and happiness and control. And everything's fine. I'm perfect. I don't need any help. I'm, I'm an independent man. Look at me. Look how great I am. See, I believe in order to expect honesty and vulnerability and integrity from others, you first have to model it in humility yourself. Allow me to share a little story with you about, about my personal failings. And, and this is difficult because, you know, it's been told, pastors have actually told me this before. And it's been modeled to me by other pastors that, you know what, you should probably not tell your congregation about that part of your life, right? You, you know, the, the pastor should be the shining example for everyone to follow. The pastor should be physically fit. I know what you're thinking. Wow, he is physically fit. The pastor should be financially stable. He should have everything in order, no weaknesses that could be exposed, but I'm sorry to disappoint you. There is no pastor that is that way. There's nobody that is that way. 
And I try to lead others through what God is teaching me and what he's speaking in my life. I try to lead others into those same encounters because that's all I have to lead from, right? Is the encounters that I'm having with God and what he's teaching me. And so let me tell you this story. It was, uh, you know, I've battled with, um, I've, I've battled with, uh, and I want to be sensitive. I know there's some younger people in the room, but I've battled with, with images on the internet for, for quite some time. When I was about 15 years old, I stumbled upon, I stumbled up upon images that I, I shouldn't have seen, and it was a complete accident. I, don't, I honestly don't even know uh, how it happened. I, I googled something completely innocent, and, and it was for a school project, and these images popped up, and, and ever since then, I struggled with this sin. And fast forward to around the time where I had met my wife, uh, I, I had struggled with it all these years, all these years, and I meet my wife, and we had an honest conversation about it, and she asked me, do you struggle with this? And I told her, well, I did once in the past, but I don't struggle with it anymore. I've got it under control, and, and believe me, I went through seasons of, of, of healing and confession, and I, I felt like I was on top of it, and then I'd relapse again, and I would just ebb and flow in these seasons, and I think some people know what this is like and, and when it comes to addiction and when it comes to when it comes to sin like this and, and so by this point I look at my wife and I, I tell her you know like I've, I've struggled with this but it's behind me now I completely lied to her because I was still in the midst of the battle and about two two years into our marriage I had just had we just had our son Gideon two years into our marriage we're at this worship conference in Portland and uh, the Lord just opened up the heavens and, had, and met with me. And it was so refreshing because I had felt so far away from God for so long. I'd been leading worship. I was a worship leader at my old church. And so I'd lead worship on Sundays and struggle with sin throughout the week. And it was this constant battle that I went through. And in this moment, God just opened up the heavens and he met with me. And I felt his love and his compassion for me. And, and, and he spoke to me in that moment. And he said, I want you to tell your wife tonight about everything. I want you to tell her that you lied to her. I want you to confess everything to her. Don't leave anything out. And I said, tonight? <laughs> but I'm on such a spiritual high. What? You want me to do this tonight? And God said, yeah, I don't want you to wait till tomorrow. I want you to do it tonight. And so I, I took my wife. I said, hey, babe, we should go get some dinner after this is over. And I took her out to dinner and sat across the table from her. And I just started out with, I've lied to you. For the last two and a half years, I've struggled with this. And, and, and it's kept me from having a real, authentic, loving relationship with you. I'm afraid that our kids are going to grow up with this. And I want to I get rid of it. I want to I get rid of it so that my, my sons don't struggle with this. And I, I want to have the best relationship with you that I can. And I want to feel right with God once again. And so I know that it's going to take some time for me to rebuild my trust with you. I know that I've probably broken your trust. I know that there's pain that we still have to work through. But I don't care anymore about, about hiding it. I just want to be right with God. And I want to be right with you. So let's start the hard work of rebuilding trust. And, and let's just let's start from the, the ground floor if we have to. And she, with tears in her eyes, she was so loving, so understanding, she forgave me, and we've moved forward. Our marriage has never been stronger. I can honestly say that I believe we have the best marriage I've ever seen, and uh, that I, I love my wife with all of my heart, and, and God has given me victory over this, but it begins with confession. It begins with admitting that you don't have it all together, that you need help, that you're broken, that there's an area in your life, and maybe you don't struggle with that sin. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's anger, and you're not willing to admit it. 
Maybe it's unforgiveness and bitterness, and, and you think that, that messages about bitterness and unforgiveness and anger are for somebody else, but they're for you, right? It begins when you confess it yourself. But I learned in that moment the importance of confession. I learned the importance of confession, and we can read in the Psalms that David, he knew the importance of confession as well. The first thing I want to talk about confession is this, that confession leads to forgiveness and freedom. Confession leads to forgiveness and freedom. This is the essence of our faith, that we were once sinners who acknowledged our failure, and God forgave us because of Jesus' death on the cross for my sake. David writes in verse 5, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, I remember what it was like to feel imprisoned by sin. I, w- I remember what it was like to feel like a faker, to feel like I had it all together on Sunday and then I'd go home and I was, I was living something, I was somebody else. I remember what that weight Felt like I didn't feel free to have a relationship with God because I was consumed with my own guilt and shame. But let me tell you this, that there is no failure too far out of God's reach. There is no sin too far out of God's reach. And to think so is arrogance. It's, it's, it's like you're saying, Jesus, I know you died for me, but listen, what I did can't be fixed with your blood. My sin is greater than your blood, Jesus. How arrogant is that? To say that Jesus' blood was good enough for everybody else, but it wasn't good enough for you. You made some real bad decisions. Made some real bad choices. See, when you're forgiven, you're free. Free to do what? To keep sinning because I know that God's gonna forgive me? Right? If I sin again, I, I can sin again because God's just going to forgive me again. If I confess my sins, he's faithful to forgive me. That's what the Bible says, so I'm free. I can, I can do what I want. I know that God's going to cleanse me from my sin. No, no, you're not free to do that, but you're free to extend the same forgiveness to others when they hurt you because you have a debt that was paid. You've been set free. Now you can help set other people free by forgiving them when they hurt you and not taking offense not, not harboring anger, not harboring bitterness. You can set them free by extending the same forgiveness to them. You're free to approach your heavenly father with confidence and ask for anything because you're free from condemnation. There's nothing that the enemy can come to you and say, well, you can't ask for that because you did this. No, you're free from that. You have confidence before the Lord. You're free to be yourself apart from perfectionism because you admit you don't have it all together, but you, are, you rely on a savior who is perfect for you. You're free. You're forgiven. You can be yourself. The weight is off of you. You don't have to perform. You don't have to do anything to make you feel better. You rely on your Savior who did it all for you. So when you confess and you ask him for forgiveness, he is faithful to forgive you, and he sets you free. And it's not a process of setting you free, by the way. Now, there are consequences to our sin, and there's some things that need to be adjusted like when I confessed to my wife I knew that there was going to be some time where I had to rebuild trust with her right and even though she was experiencing all this pain inside I was so full of joy and I felt guilty for it because I could see the hurt she was going through but I was I was feeling free 
I was feeling full of joy and hope that I don't have anything left. There's no skeletons in my closet. The enemy doesn't have anything on me. I was free. Confession leads to forgiveness and freedom. The second thing is this. Confession is urgent. What do I mean by that? Verse 6 says, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. See, I knew, I knew in that moment when I was at this worship night, when God spoke to me and said, I want you to tell your wife tonight. I knew that if I waited till the next morning, I wouldn't have the courage to do it. That there was a window of opportunity that the Lord was giving to me, and it was a window of grace and a, and a window of courage where he was filling me with the strength and the faith to trust him and to trust that whatever the outcome is, it's gonna be better than what I'm experiencing now right? Oh, but God, what if, what if she gets so angry at me that she, she doesn't ever trust me again, or she, she doesn't want to be with me anymore? God, what if, what if that happens to me? What if, what if people find out? What if people at my church find out? What if, what if people know about this? There was a window of opportunity where God gave me this feeling, this feeling of grace where I said to myself, I don't care about the consequences. I just want to be right with God. I just want to know that, that, he, that I can have a good relationship with God and I, I want to be right for my family's sake and for my marriage's sake and it was this window of opportunity and God provides us with those windows of opportunity. <clears throat> Take advantage of the moments or the windows that God gives you to tell someone. You may not have that opportunity for a long time. I know people who have gone decades before confessing something to their spouse or to somebody. They go decades because the window of opportunity closed and they thought it's been too long. I've, I've waited for too long. Now it's just gonna be this big thing. I, I, I'm willing to take this to my grave. We tell ourselves that, don't we? I'm willing to die with this secret. I'm gonna take my chances. Don't do that, church. Why would you take that chance when you could live in freedom today? Because God's freedom is instantaneous. He gives you a new heart, and he starts over right then, right there, and says, all right, you've been justified. It's as if you've never sinned. I see the righteousness of my son, Jesus. I think of the lyrics to one of my favorite songs. This song brought me closer to the Lord when I was younger, but there's, there's a line in the song, How He Loves, where it says, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that you love me. I don't have time to maintain these regrets. We think that, you know, we, we spend our lives just, we spend our lives just maintaining our, our shame and our guilt and our regret and we think about it over and over and we, we think, well, I'll just wait for the right time and, and we make all sorts of excuses. But when you think about the way that God wants to use you and you think about the way that God loves you and you think about the way that God wants to, 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 for you to experience the love and the peace and the joy that he has, you don't have time to maintain those regrets. You don't have time to stew over that anymore. Why spend your life in prison, in prison by shame and regret when you could begin freedom today, right now? The third thing is this. Confession brings protection. Verse 7 says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. See, sin invites the enemy into areas of your life that are unprotected because you haven't submitted them to Jesus. Ephesians 4, verse 26 says this. And it's talking about anger. 
here in Ephesians. It says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now that word foothold in the Greek is the word tapas, and it means a, it means a designating a space set aside for the devil. You are literally saving the devil a seat. You're saving him a seat. You're saying, I'm inviting you into this area of my life. I got a seat right here for you. Come on. I'm angry at this person. I need your help, devil. You're, you're inviting him into that, into that moment. But when you confess and you ask for forgiveness, you're kicking the devil out of that seat. You're saying, no, this is reserved for God. This belongs to God. God is going to walk with me. He's going to sit with me. He's going to be with me through every decision of my life from now on. It provides protection. And it, it, it eliminates the footholds and the strongholds that the enemy makes in our life when we have sin. I would say for most of us, you know, there's some of us that might have, you know, I think there's some of us that are aware of our sin. And, it, and it's been something that maybe it's an addiction or maybe it is unforgiveness or it's something that you know you struggle with, something that you've been working on and, and you've been asking the Lord for strength. And maybe for some of us, we have to continually ask for forgiveness because those thoughts and those feelings, they flare up again, right? And we have to continually submit that to the Lord. But I would say that a lot of us have, have things in our life that go unnoticed. We, we, we think we're pretty good human beings, don't we? Now, I, I, I'm a good person, right? But that's why it's so important to live that Psalms 139. I know that Kurt talked about this last week, but there's a, there's a, there's a verse in Psalm 139 that says, search me, know my anxious thoughts, know my heart. And it's David saying, God, just root out all the things that are inside of me that are, I'm completely unaware of. Some of us need to make that prayer. Because maybe the enemy has a stronghold in your life in an area that you're completely oblivious to. You have no idea that that's there, but you've been holding on to it. You've justified it. You've created excuses for it, and it's okay now because you've gone on so long that your conscience has just been seared, and it's, it's now acceptable. It's tolerated. It's fine. But for me, I, I, I continue. I have to take my life to the Lord and say, God, God, okay, I know that you're working on me in this area. This, I can see all of this. But what about the areas in my life that I can't see? Can you show those to me? Can you expose those things to me? Confession is asking God for forgiveness and it breaks the authority of the enemy and submits that seat back to God. Confession brings protection. The last thing is this. Confession, it maintains your joy, church. It gives you joy. Verse 11 says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. I remember when I finally had no skeletons in my closet anymore. Now, I'm not perfect, right? I still sin. I still fall short. I still mess up, and I still have to bring those for the, before the Lord. But, 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 but there's nothing that I'm keeping from the Lord that, that inhibits my ability to approach him. There's still work to be done in rebuilding trust with my wife. And if I'm honest, sometimes it still requires my attention at times. But I was free in that moment and I was glad because I could look at my Jesus in the eyes with a smile on my face, knowing that I'm sorry, I've, I've, I've held this from you, but I'm not holding it from you anymore. You can have it. This is the joy that we were always created to live in. Think of a child. 
Think of a child and how full of joy they are, how full of trust they are, how full of faith they are, and then they grow up and make decisions that they regret, and it steals our joy, doesn't it? Right, we make decisions in life that steals our joy, it steals our trust in God, it steals our faith when we grow up, but God wants to bring you back to a time of innocence. He wants to bring you back to that time just as if I'd never sinned. Church, would you stand with me? We're gonna close in prayer. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna invite you to come up to the altar and, and confess on your knees or anything like that, but, but here's what I'm asking you to do, church, is that I know that probably every single one of us can think of somebody that they need to call, somebody that they need to, to, to make a phone call to or somebody they need to, to talk to or admit something to. And, and I believe that there's, this, there's a window of opportunity today, church, God wants to give you a window of grace and strength and show you a future that is better than what you can construct for yourself because ultimately this is what confession is. When you confess and ask for forgiveness, it's telling God, listen, I trust that regardless of the consequences that I'm going to experience, my life is going to be better for this. Oftentimes we don't do it because we think, no, if I, if I do this, I'm just gonna, my life is ruined, Right? I'm, I'm done with, my relationships are over, this trust is over, this whatever it is, it's over if I do this. Listen, it's about trust, knowing that God has something better for you if you put down what you've been carrying. There's no need to be afraid. And most people wait to confess until the pain of staying put outweighs the pain of moving, moving forward. But don't do that. Don't wait until then. Confessing your sin and your failure is ultimately about trusting God. That's where we say, I don't care anymore, God, about my consequences. I don't care what happens. I just want to be in right relationship with you. I want good relationships with people. I want good relationships with you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. God, that you are the comforter. You are the one who fills us with faith, with courage. God, thank you that... Your word says that, that you are faithful to forgive our sins, always. You are faithful to forgive our sins. There is nothing that you don't forgive. There is no child that you don't want to be in right relationship with. God, you want a relationship, a deep, intimate relationship with every single one of us. And God, I pray that if there's any person in this room who has felt far away from you, who has felt like you're out of reach, God, would you give them that window of opportunity? Would you fill them with urgency and faith and courage and grace to know that everything is going to be okay, that you are a God we can trust with our lives and with the deepest parts of us. God, we thank you that your word says it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's your goodness. It's not your anger. It's not fear of going to hell. It's not fear of whatever. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's the desire to want to know you, God, that leads us to repentance, God. Help us open up our hearts. Give us the courage today to make ourselves right with people, make ourselves right with you. And you are faithful to forgive. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. And the church said, amen. 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 I love you, church. I hope to see you next week, the 4th of July. We're going to have food in the cafe, and we're going to hang out, so we'll see you then.